Last week, we asked Joseph a very pointed question, okay? And some of you were surprised that I asked it, but maybe glad that I did. What we asked Joseph last week is, how should we engage the 2016 election? And that was the title of the sermon was Engage. How should we engage the 2016 election? And hopefully uh, everyone felt encouraged, um, maybe challenged, maybe even equipped to go into Tuesday as you, as you voted. Um, and we're able to come out from that vote feeling way more confident than you would have if you had not um, looked to God's word and got some specific direction from Joseph. Tonight, what I want to do is finish that conversation. If you remember, I told you last week, we're going to look at two points, and then we're going to look at two more post-election um, this week. And so, uh, let me just say this. Some of you, um, some of you uh, may have been really challenged last week. And if you were challenged last week, I can promise you this week, you, want, you might want to pull your toes in a little bit, okay? Because I'm going to say some very specific things to our church. But what I'm really doing is I'm speaking to anybody that might ever listen to this on podcasts or that you might go and share with. I'm, I'm talking to the church. And I have some very specific things I want to say that I believe Joseph would tell us. And I'm going to stick as close to my notes as possible so that I don't miss anything that I felt like the Lord was showing me this week as I was preparing for this sermon. Let me just start by saying we now have, as you know, a president-elect, right? Everybody watches the news, right? Donald Trump is going to be the new president of the United States, and some of you are extremely happy about that. Others are extremely disappointed and you may have noticed that I, were, I used the word extremely, and I did that on purpose because the nation seems to be divided about the outcome of this election. Do you guys sense that? I want you to listen to me. How we engage the election now, post-election, is quite possibly more important than how we engaged it on Tuesday in the prior weeks to voting. I think it's, it's going to be really easy to get some advice from Joseph uh, on this subject. So, so let's dive in. If you'll remember, Joseph was brought before Pharaoh, the leader of Egypt, which most likely was the most powerful nation in all the earth at that time. And he was asked to give his input. Okay. It wasn't the same type of input that we were asked to give on Tuesday. We were asked to vote for president. Joseph was asked to interpret a dream. But like I said last week, if you were here, both require a clear conscience and a prophetic edge. You guys remember? Last week we asked Joseph, how do we engage this election? Of course, this was pre-voting. And we determined that Joseph would tell us, vote, but do it with a clear conscience and vote with a prophetic edge. Now, you're going to need to go back and listen to that message if you weren't here um, to get, you know, the first part of what I'm talking about tonight. But I say go and listen to it anyway because it doesn't just apply to voting, does it? Having a clear conscience before God and walking with a prophetic edge. 
in our life. Tonight, what I want to do is show you two more ways to engage the 2000 election, 2016 election. I believe that Joseph would say, people of God, addressing the people of God, hopefully that's everyone in this room, people of God, whether you are content with the outcome or concerned about the outcome, you must, and this is number three, number one for tonight, but number three, whether you are content or concerned about the outcome, you must be a part of the solution. Be a part of the solution. Whether you're content or concerned, either way, you gotta be a part of the solution. I want you to try to picture this scene again. We've looked at this scene, this will be the third time, maybe the fourth time that we've looked at this particular scene, but Joseph goes into Pharaoh's court with a clear conscience, he goes in with a prophetic edge, and he interprets the dream. Okay, and Joseph, he does his part. He does what he was asked to do. Okay, he, he cast his vote, if you will. He does what he was asked to do. And then what? Then what happened? All he was asked to do is interpret the dream. Okay, to give a certain type of input. But God, as you know, as we've read, it put way more into Joseph's life, into Joseph's heart. than a prophetic edge and the ability to interpret dreams. As we've seen through this whole series, Joseph had a knack for administration. He seemed to be a very organized guy. He was full of ideas. He got things done. And the things that he did were excellent. Whatever he put his hand to, we've talked about this, he had the Joseph anointing. Everything he touched was fruitful. He was diligent. He was talented. He was creative. And again, he was very administrative. Joseph could have kept his input into the situation in the realm of spiritual. Okay, he could have interpreted the dream, kept it along the lines of spiritual. He could have used his prophetic edge. He could have, he could have did what he did with a clear conscience, all nice and spiritual, interpreted the dream, and then just walked away. If you really think about it, He could have walked away, but he knew that he had way more inside of him. I want you to listen to me because I'm talking to you really right now and myself. Joseph had way more inside of him than just the input that they asked for. And so he offered it to him. I'm going to read it. You don't have to turn there. You're probably already there. So if you want to look at verse 33, 41, verse 33, it says, Hey, let Pharaoh look for a man discreet and wise and set him over all the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this and let him appoint overseers over the land and take up a fifth part of the land of Egypt in the seven plenty years and then let him gather all the food. I mean, you know he was probably talking this fast too because he was like a genius, right? And let him gather all the food over um, of the good years that come and lay up grain under the land of Pharaoh for food in the cities and let them keep it. And the food shall be for a, a store to the land against the seven years of famine which shall be in the land of Egypt, so that the land will not perish during the famine. I mean, he just jumps right in and had the answer just like that. Listen to me. I think if Joseph were standing here tonight talking to you instead of me, I think he would, he would, he would say, is that all you got, really? A vote? I mean, I think he would be very blunt, very honest and say, that's, that's, all you, that's all you got? Come on, man. What's your gig? What are you into? What's your gift? What can you do? What, do you, what abilities do you have to be a part of the solution? 
Joseph easily could have just interpreted the dream and gone back to his life as usual. Right? I mean, what if he had just said, are we done here? <laughs> are we done? Can I go back to my prison cell now? Please, sir, thank you. You're all smart people. I'll let you guys all figure it out. I'll leave the peace and safety and the provision of the nation and the nations up to you guys. What if he'd have said that? If we're not part of the solution, are we not just living in prison? No, I want you, I want you to think of this. If we're not part of the solution, are we not just living inside of a prison cell? Waiting for someone else to provide for us. Waiting for someone else to lead us where they think we ought to be. Letting someone else tell us what's best for us and for our family. (laughs) Right? And if you think about it, we only get one phone call. Every four years, (laughs) we can call in and give our opinions. Because the phone call itself really isn't doing nothing. You guys hear what I'm saying? It's just an opportunity for them to hear, hey, how you doing? What's going on in prison? Joseph never saw himself as a prisoner, and he certainly wasn't satisfied with life behind bars. He knew the wisdom and the creativity that God put inside of him. Joseph had something to offer. And I want you to think about this. And with hardly any effort at all, he offered practical solutions. With hardly any effort. And think about this. Joseph stepped outside of his civil freedoms. I mean, he was a Hebrew imprisoned slave. And said, here's what you need to do, Pharaoh. You know Pharaoh's like, Pharaoh speaks. (laughs) Who do you think I am? Do you think I'm a dummy? You don't think I know how to fix my own nation? You don't think I know what to do? Off with his head, you know. Kill him. Think about it. Joseph really stuck his neck out by offering the advice that he did. And he didn't even have the civil freedom to do it. And I think most of you can see where I'm going with this. It's, it's wonderful to have a clear conscience before God. We're supposed to. It's right to have a spiritual interpretation of what's going on around us in the nation. It's very important to have a spiritual interpretation of what's going on around us in the nation, right? But God has always intended our spiritual life to be a foundation for our practical life. I hope you're hearing me. Last week we looked at 2 Corinthians 1 verse 12 where it says, our proud confidence, Paul says, our proud confidence is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in holiness and godly sincerity, not in fleshly wisdom, but in the grace of God, we have conducted ourselves in the world. And we talked about how we're supposed to influence the culture around us. That's why Jesus prayed to the Father in the garden the night before he died. He says, Father, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but I'm asking you to protect them from the evil one while they are in the world. They're not any more part of the world than I am. 
That's what he told God. We are supposed to be in the world, not of the world, so that we can change the world. Maybe that sounds like a lofty idea. But it sounds like that's what, that was a long prayer. It was, it was a long prayer that Jesus prayed in the garden. And the majority of it was for us. Why else would we not consider ourselves potential world changers? In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, it says that the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Let me, let me tell you, this is a messianic prophecy. This is uh, something that is spoken that pointed ahead to the coming Messiah. Isaiah said, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. Like I said, we know this is about Jesus. He is the light that shined upon a dark and lost world, okay? So think about that prophecy and then think about something that Jesus said. We know that he is the light, but look what he said to us. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. You guys remember the old song? Hide it under a bushel, no. I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under a bushel. You know? Bushel, basket, you guys get the point. Neither does someone hide their light under a bushel, under a basket. Instead, they set it on a lampstand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. If the church is the entity that carries the message of true hope, why are so many people looking to the government for their hope? It's because the church is hiding. Listen to me. This is us. I'm not talking about some church down the road that has a different theology than us. I'm not talking about a church over there that's bigger than us or one that's smaller than us. I'm talking about the church as a whole that Christ himself said he would build and that he would pour himself into. That church as a whole is hiding the hope that is in them, Christ. We have the civil freedom to say anything we want. Y'all hearing me? We can say anything we want, anytime we want, and pretty much any place that we want. It's not even sticking our neck out to be a part of the solution. <laughs> is it? There's, there's, but we don't. We stay hidden. We stay quiet. This is a bold statement, but I want you to hear it because we've got to hear this. Joseph had courage in the absence of freedom. He had courage. He had no freedom to do what he did, and yet he had courage. Most Christians are cowards in the midst of a freedom that'll let them say anything they want to say. We don't even have to stand before a Pharaoh, <laughs> we can write letters. You hear what I'm saying? We can sign appeals. We can join, you know, volunteer organizations. Join ministries. We can, we, listen, we can start ministries. We can do anything that we want to do. We can do anything we want to do, but we don't. Listen to me. We count on the beliefs and agendas of a political platform to do the work. Can we just say it? We count on the beliefs and politi 
political platforms to the, do the work for us. That's why more people show up to a, a courthouse to vote than they do to God's house to pray. I got to be real with you. Because we all feel something. And we need to know what to do about it moving forward. What about our platform? That's what I thought about this week. What about our platform? What about what we believe? And what, what about what's on our agenda to do to be a part of the solution? You know that it wasn't, you know that it wasn't Joseph's interpretation of the dream that saved the nations, right? Can I just say that? It wasn't the interpretation. Boy, he just, he, he's got gifts, a real gift. And he did. He was able to interpret dreams. But that's not what saved the nation. You know what saved the nation? It was his practical administration. That's what saved the nation. I want you to think about it. It was his willingness to do something about it. He didn't just see the problem. You guys know anyone, anyone filled with the Spirit of God can look around and see problems. If you got the Spirit of God in you, living in this dark world, you can see the problems. It really doesn't even take much discernment. But seeing the problem, seeing the problem is not what brings about solutions. Casting a vote and counting on someone else to do the job is not the solution. We have to be a part of the solution by figuring out how we can contribute, how we can make a difference. But that's not what we do. Here, here's what we do. Let's look at the, let's look at the uh, pattern. We get worked up during election season. Well, we grab a burden during election season, right? We get burdened about the issues of the day. We select the, the candidate or the party that best represents that burden, right? Then we cast our vote, and then we rejoice or remorse over the outcome, and then we go back under our bushel and hide our light until the next election. That's exactly what we do. We go nuts during the election and then we go silent for four years and then we go nuts again during the next election and then we're quiet again. How is that supposed to institute any change? We forget our burden. Let's just say it that way. We forget about our burden. And Joseph didn't do that. He was allowed to give his input and then he offered solution. And they liked his ideas. Listen, what if people liked your ideas? What if they actually liked your ideas? What if somebody actually responded and took your idea, your thought, or your, your gift, what you want to do, and they took it to a level that you could never imagine? Too bad we hid it under a bushel when we should have let it shine. They actually let him do what his idea was to do. They put him in charge of everything. And even though he was in charge, he wasn't, he wasn't content to just point fingers. Say, you guys do this. Y'all, okay, good job. You're over there? All right. You, okay, you guys, okay. He wasn't just pointing fingers, you guys. In Genesis 42, verse 6, you can turn over there if you want, me, if you want to see it. But it says that Joseph was the ruler over all the land. All the land. <laughs> all the land. But he was the one who sold to all the people. He was the one. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. 
He was, he was second greatest in all of Egypt, yet he is the one that was down there at the line handing out bags of food. And then it says his brothers came and bowed down before him. Wow, what a scene. He was down there in the midst of it. He wasn't up in Joseph Towers laying off in a jacuzzi. That's not what he was doing. He, he, listen, he quite literally had his hands on the solution, handing out bags of grain. Why? Why would he do that? Because there was a particular nation, a particular people group that he had his heart set on saving. And that was his own people, Israel, the Hebrews. If you want to write something down that hopefully you could take with you and tattoo somewhere on you. Listen to me. Joseph never let anyone else own his burden. Ever. Joseph never let someone else own his burden. Let me ask you, what is your burden? What were you so riled up about during the election? What issues motivated you to passionately peruse the political parties. And then was your candidate elected? If your answer is no, then what are you going to do? If, if, if your candidate that you voted for wasn't elected, well, what, what are you going to do? Are you going to complain and hope that the next election goes better? Get prepared, come back out of hiding and vote again? And what if your candidate was elected? What if your answer to that question is, yes, my candidate was elected? Okay, then what are you going to do? Are you going to count on the Republican Party to do what they say they will do concerning your burdens? Is that what you're going to do? Listen to me. There's only one person that you can count on to touch what truly burdens you. And that's you. You're the only one that can really ever keep in touch with what burdens you. No one will ever own your burden like you will. And let me also say, no one will, no institute, no organization, no entity will ever support you in your burden like the church. Ever. Remember I told you to keep your hand at Ephesians chapter 4. If you've never read Ephesians chapter 4, I want you to I want you to read it. That chapter is what helped birth Soma, our heart to be a church that is doing what Christ set it out to do. In verse 11 and 12, it says that God gave some inside of the church to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors, and some to be teachers. I've heard that called the five-fold ministry, the, the, the full leadership giftings uh, inside of a church, five-fold. And here's, it says that he gave those to the church for the equipping of the saints for the works of ministry. It doesn't say he gave those five to go do all the ministry. He said those men have been uniquely gifted to equip others to go do what God put on their heart to minister to the burden that God put on them. That's what he says. 
And, and let me say this. You can tattoo this somewhere too. A burden, I'm sorry, a believer, a believer without a burden will bury themselves under a basket. I even alliterated it so you can walk out of here. Listen to me because it's true. A believer without a burden will bury themselves under a basket. I truly believe that. And that's one of the reasons we do life groups here. Life groups are about um, connecting people together. It's about discipling as best as we can people. It's about outreach, providing a safe place where you can invite your unchurched or lost friends to. They can feel safe, not judged and condemned. But also our life groups do things out in the community. You know why we put that in there as one of the legs of our life group ministry? Because we understand we understand that, that it's not always at the front of your mind to go and, and do things in the community and, and find a burden. We get distracted. We understand that. And that's why we say, let us help you keep your burdens in front of you. Maybe even help develop a burden. You understand what I'm saying? That's why we do it. If you're not part of a life group, I really encourage you especially if you don't have something that so burdens your heart that it keeps you active, that it keeps your light outside of the basket. Whether you are content with the outcome or are concerned about the outcome, there's a foundational principle principle that you have to adhere to. And this is my fourth thing that I think Joseph would tell you. Write this down. Trust God's sovereign leadership. Trust in God's sovereign leadership. At the end of the day, whether you're content or concerned, it is very important foundationally to trust in God's sovereign leadership. Joseph would to have had more faith and trust in God's ability to move things down the line in history, (laughs) to affect the uh, historic timeline, to shape history than he did in Pharaoh's ability, right? Why else would he step out there (laughs) and speak out of turn the way he did? He obviously trusted God's sovereign leadership more than he did Pharaoh's. You could even say he feared God more than he did Pharaoh, however you want to say that. I I said I would show you something in Daniel too. Go ahead and turn there. We're doing good on time, unless that clock's messed up. So I think we, it would be good to just read that together. I mean, I'll read it and you can... This is Daniel chapter 2. And uh, we'll look at 19 through 22. So go ahead and turn there. The book of Daniel. Of course, we know Daniel was a prophet many things, but he was a prophet. In fact, some of the greatest revelations in scripture were given to him and the disciple John. And those revelations sync up if you've ever studied the book of Daniel. I want you to hear me. Ready? Daniel chapter 2, verse 19 through 20 says, then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. Some of your translations say a dream. How wonderful that it was a dream, right? Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven and he said, let the name of God be blessed forever and ever for wisdom and power belong to him. 
It is he who changes the times and the epochs. Epochs meaning seasons. God is the one that changes times and seasons. He removes kings and establishes kings. You could put a circle around that or a square or however you like to mark that. He removes kings and establishes kings. And we could stop right there, but let's keep reading. He gives wisdom to wise men and knowledge to men of understanding. In verse 22, it says, it is he who reveals the profound and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. Okay, two things really quick. For those of you who are concerned, Everybody listen. We're almost done. For those of you who are concerned about where the election went this year, uh, this year you, 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 you do not approve of Tronald Dump. <laughs> wow. They call that a Freudian slip, right? Let me back up. <laughs> Why does it always happen to me, man? Melissa gets up there and she's always so perfectly poised and eloquent. I get up there and, what? What's going on? Let me back up. For those of you who are concerned about where the election went, who was elected, Donald Trump, you don't approve of him as president. Listen, we just read, Daniel explicitly tells us Donald Trump is president because God allowed it. Now listen to me. He is president because God allowed it. And if God allowed it, then there must be a profound and hidden thing that God will reveal in his own time. That's why we read the rest of that verse. Listen to me. And you can write this down, or I think Joseph would tell us this. Do, uh, do not focus on the man God has elected. Seek wisdom and knowledge to understand, like we just read in Daniel. Don't focus on the man God has selected. Seek wisdom and knowledge to understand the plan God is perfecting. I try to make things rhyme so that we can understand them and, and grab them quicker. But did you hear that? Don't focus on the man that God selected. Focus on the plan that he is perfecting. And I can assure you that it's, it's a perfect plan, even though it doesn't line up with our own personal one. Now, for those of you who are content, those of you who are happy as pie, or however you say that, I want you to listen very carefully. There are those who are, there are those who are adamantly and, uh, and even arrogantly saying that Trump is God's man. Anybody heard it? Trump is God's man. I've, I've, if I've heard that once, I've heard it, you know, a dozen times. Trump is God's man. I heard someone say that him being, him being selected could have only happened because of God's providence. Now, here's the thing. I agree with that statement. I mean, we just said that, right? <laughs> According to Daniel chapter 2. I completely agree. But, listen to me. If you don't leave with anything else, leave, leave with this. Christians, needs, Christians need to get a biblical grip on how to view that and how to explain that. Let me say it again. It's a true statement, but we have got to get a grip on how to see it, view it, and explain it to the world, okay? Let me say this. Be careful not to confuse God's selecting 
with God's accepting. Do you understand what I'm saying? Did you notice that it rhymed? Okay. Joseph had his gifts. I have mine. I'm using them on a platform. Listen to me. Let me say it again. Be careful not, and I'll explain what I mean, but be careful not to confuse God's selecting of our president as God's accepting of our president. I recently heard someone say that Donald Trump isn't a perfect man, but neither is King David. Okay, let me pause. I understand what this person is trying to say, but there is a vast difference in God's selection of King David and his selection of King, uh, of <laughs> Tronald Dunn, okay? Let, let me say it again. I told you this is why I'm sticking close to my notes because I know it's such a sensitive topic, but there is a vast difference between God selecting King David and God selecting Donald Trump. Huge difference. I don't know if you knew this, but before David's name is ever mentioned in the Bible, that great, mighty name, David, before he's called David the shepherd, before he's called David the worshiper, David the warrior, King David. You guys know what I'm talking about? Before a city was ever named after him, the city of David, before his name was ever mentioned, his character was. God told Saul, you're done. You don't honor me. You don't obey me. And I have sought out for myself a man after my own heart. Didn't say his name. Just described his character. You guys hear what I'm saying? God chose David because of his character. And I say this carefully, but God chose Trump in spite of his character. Please listen to me. I have heard that Donald Trump has become a born-again believer and that he is now listening to great men of God all around him. And I hope that that's true. I hope that this is the case. And if so, I would fully expect that he can and will become a great man of godly character. Right? True? But until then, and again, I say this carefully, but I say it confidently, it would be more appropriate to put Trump in the lineup with such men as Pharaoh and Nebuchadnezzar and Pilate and King Agrippa. If you don't know who those men are, go and read your Bible and look at how God, in his wisdom and power, chose and used them in specific ways to change the time and seasons for a nation, knowing full well what was in the dark, but allowing the light in him through his people to shine forth, to shine brighter. Bottom line, where, uh, whether you are content or concerned, your responsibility is the same. Listen to me. Be a part of the solution. Get your light out from under a basket. Be a part of the solution. Act upon your burden. Don't give it to someone else. Own it. And trust God's sovereign leadership. Are you hearing me? By the way, you have to trust God's sovereign leadership in the midst of <laughs> being a part of the solution. I'm going to look at one more thing before we close in, in, in Joseph's life. In, in chapter 41, verse 49, it says that Joseph stored up grain 
in great abundance like the sand of the sea until he stopped measuring it for it was beyond measure. (laughs) This is a great statement. I mean, you look at this and Joseph was so successful that he had to stop counting. And that will most likely not be the case (laughs) for us, right? I doubt there's a day where we won't, you know, know how many people are at Soma Church. There probably won't be a day where your ministry efforts are going to be so, um, you know, amazing that you can't even count the people that it's, it's, okay, this was unique. But that's not what I want to focus on. What I want to focus on is that it says that it was beyond measure. And I felt like the Lord is saying, step out. Don't be afraid. Go for it. Act on your burden. Be a part of the solution. You may never know it, but your efforts and the success will be beyond measure. Beyond measure. You're going to try to measure it. You might be disappointed when you think it's not that big or that effective, but God is saying you have no idea. It is beyond measure. Two questions. How will you be part of the solution? This is what you got to walk out of here tonight with and and decide very soon in the coming days, how are you going to be part of the solution? Please, I'm begging you as a church, do not slip back into complacency. Don't go sit in your prison cell counting on three squares a day. Get out there and be a part of the solution. Use your gifts, use your talents, act on your burden. How will you be a part of the solution? What is your burden? <laughs> what is your burden? How and, and, and what will you give so that the Lord can give it back to you a good measure? And the second thing is, will you trust God with the outcome of the election, but also with your ministry efforts? That's one of the reasons we don't step out and do something. It's because we're just afraid that we'll fail. God's like, you step out, you step, let's say it this way, you step out of the boat, I'll help you walk on the water. <laughs> Is that a good, can we end with that? It's always good to end on Peter because most of us are just like him. You know, we step out every now and then, but then we get distracted and start sinking. Keep your eyes on the Lord. Step out and do something. Let's stand.